The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's show. Today, I'd like to welcome Kahal Keen. Kahal Keeney is a professional Irish dancer and is currently dancing with Lord of the Dance. Kahal Keeney started dancing at the age of five with the Hessian School of Irish Dancing in Galway. Kahal has won two World Irish Dancing Championship titles, along with multiple All-Ireland, North American, British National and Great Britain titles. Kahal had the privilege of joining Lord of the Dance Feet of Flames in Taiwan 2012 and has been a part of the show ever since. Kahal currently performs the role of the Lord in Lord of the Dance Dangerous Games. Welcome to the show, Kahal. Hey, how, how are you getting on, Simon? Great to have a chat with you today. Lovely, lovely. And Kahal, you're coming to us from London. What part of London are you in? Don't know exactly dress or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, I'm in uh, Essex, so uh, just on the outskirts of London, uh, kind of on the, the east side. Like, is that kind of a centralized base for, for you at the moment? Is that a handy place to be for all the touring? Yeah, so um, my girlfriend, she's actually, my girlfriend's from London. Um, so uh, before, obviously, the whole COVID situation, we've spent the last eight years of her life traveling mostly with Lord of the Dance. We've, do, we've done a lot of other shows too. But um, yeah, so London's always been, um, London and Galway, I spent a lot of time in Galway doing other shows like Trad and the Prom. But between London and Galway, the both of us, that's kind of our, our basis um, for when we're traveling the world and dancing. So at the moment, I've based myself over here in um, London. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And I like. I, I think right now with COVID in London, it's you know the the restrictions aren't too bad. I know they're limiting some travel. I've seen that yesterday. Um, but does it feel like you know? Does it feel similar to Ireland in the restrictions, or does it feel more you know free over there? Yeah, a little bit. So I was at. Uh, um, Things have opened up a little bit more over here. There's um inside dining is opened up. Um, there's a couple of um, um like events like um I know the theatre is opening up here. I'm not too sure is it next month, like the West End. Um, limited capacity of course, and then their outside concerts are happening. So we're actually going to be performing a a card fest. It's um Chris Evans, you know from Top Gear. He has this like charity um concert. You know lots of different acts are performing at it and stuff like James Bay and stuff and. We always do it uh, with Lord of the Dance. We do like a 20-minute slot at it. So um, that's in the 25th of July. So that'll be an outside concert. So that seems they're nearly back to normal over here. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think what, what isn't open. Like, I think there's limited amount of people you could maybe have indoor at an indoor event. But I think outside um, concerts and stuff are going to start going ahead. I know that um, Chris Evans Carefest, it's called, that's going ahead in July the 25th. So um yeah fingers crossed we'll be going back to normal soon yeah it's it's not like Galway at the minute I mean and Dublin and these cities where people are going mad on the streets and people are like open the pubs open the pubs you know yeah I feel I feel bad for everyone back home like I've seen pictures online the weather's really good and they're like you know people are hanging out, out like meeting up outside and stuff but It'd be so nice if the the pubs were open and people were able to, especially like, that's one thing I'm missing. I would love to be in a pub with a nice session on and a pint of Guinness. Yeah. That is literally, I've always loved that. I've, there's not, I've always loved a live session, but I've never craved it more than 
in this last year. I, I can't wait. I, I mean, the, I was talking to somebody about that the other day and I was saying uh, that the way it's going, it's hard to know. Will that come back very quickly or even will it be one of these things that, you know, happens at all in the future? Because they could say, oh, well, you know, these sessions that would happen in the Crane Bar or in other bars around the country, you know, there's too many people in a small circle and everything. And it's, you know, can you imagine a session with everyone a meter apart, the musicians? be crazy. I know. I Look, obviously, I'm, I'm involved in the arts. I've danced my whole life. So I'm obviously going to be very biased towards the arts is so, so important. But I honestly do believe it. I think, I, I honestly think that, like, fingers crossed we get over this the vaccine seems to be working over here in the uk i mean the numbers haven't really spiked and everything's been opened up pretty much over here like people are in pubs drinking and you know you see you can see it online that people there's big gatherings and stuff and they haven't really had a spike so uh, hopefully that's a good sign that these vaccines are working because before the vaccines every time you know ireland england europe opened up there were spikes you know like at christmas time but that was obviously before we had these vaccines so i think that's a good sign that um you know that it's going to work like there hasn't been a spike over here so hopefully when yeah hopefully once ireland gets more like people vaccinated that there won't be any more spikes and we can just open up and i really hope that i think when we go back to normal there'll be such a demand for music for the arts that like i really hope there is but i believe yeah, there will yeah. be and tell it so you know what's the current status of you know lord of the dance and i mean has it because you've been off now for probably nearly two years, maybe. And uh, was there virtual shows or like are there live shows coming up in the next few months? What's the situation? Yeah, so it's kind of it's nearly a, it's a funny story with Lord and the COVID. We were actually in China in January 2019 when the whole pandemic started and we got flown out of China. Yeah, we had done shows in Shanghai and we had traveled to Beijing and we had a few. I think it was like five days we had off. And, you know, in the background, there was this whisper of, oh, there's a virus in Wuhan, but there's no cases yet in, like, Beijing or Shanghai. And, like, because they're a communist country, like, the government can do what, like, they, if they want to shut down, they shut down. We were, um, we literally got a text in a WhatsApp group, guys, come back to the hotel, pack your bags, we're flying out right now, because China have decided they've shut everything down. The shows were cancelled, it was a Chinese New Year coming up, so... We fled, well, it literally sounded like we fled China and we went to Taiwan and we continued on with the rest of our shows. And then we were in Germany in, geez, what's that? March, you know, when Europe started um, shutting down then. And the same, then things started getting bad here in Europe and the rest of our tours got cancelled. I know like Irish Celtic were in France at the time. So we were messaging our friends in Irish Celtic and France closed down first. And we were like, oh, God, Germany started closing down like little regions, you know, like Connacht Munster. They have that same thing over there. And we were about to head to Berlin. Shows got cancelled. Of course, hopped on the plane, flew back home, was like, look, this will only last for a couple of weeks. And yeah, I did not think it would last this long. So, Lord, we've been pretty much we've been pretty much quiet um, since then. We did have a massive tour where we went back to Taiwan. Um I don't know if you heard about it. We we took ninety dancers. We done a feed of flames version of the show to Taiwan. That was just before Christmas time. Um, so that was absolutely an amazing experience. It was the first time you know they brought in like PCR tests before you fly. So it was really strict. We all got like there were hundred dancers from probably fifteen different countries. You can imagine. We all had to organize different COVID tests. Travel to Taiwan. Quarantine in a hotel room by yourself for two weeks. So. 
you get to Taiwan, they put you straight in a hotel, you're locked in there for two weeks, and then you get another COVID test before you've been allowed out of your room. When you're locked in the hotel room, you have to basically keep training and keep practicing yourself. But no, no interaction with other dancers. No, they're very, um, it was very, very strict. But I mean, that's probably why they had um, no cases over there. Like we sold out, when was it? It was just before Christmas time. So it was like kind of December. We sold out, I think it was 15,000 people all packed into an arena, 100 dancers on stage. And like the rest of the, everyone back home was not allowed like 2K from their house. So it was a really surreal experience. But we did go, we went through like, such an ordeal just to get there like the two weeks in your room you weren't allowed to interact with anyone food would be dropped to your door like they'd knock on the door leave the food there you'd get your food you had to temperature check every morning so you'd have to the hotel would ring you up you had to take your temperature they had um, a thermometer in the room you took it told them your temperature and yeah it was but you were just locked in your it was yeah you were locked in your room there's no other way to put it on like yeah you were locked there you yeah. <laughs> it's a point I was going to come to later, but I think now is the perfect time because you're obviously involved with the portable sprung floor. So yeah. as a training aid, um, it's amazing. So did you have that at that time or did you have like a training aid or were you just dancing on the hotel floor, like the room floor? Yeah. So obviously, yeah, I'm involved with portable sprung floors. So um yeah, basically the name tells you what it is. It's a portable sprung Irish dance floor. So for Irish dancing, you kind of want a floor, you know, you, you want something that has a bit of give because obviously you're pounding the floor. Then you want something that has a bit of grip. So when you watch like Lord of the Dance, River Dance, you watch kids at the World Championships, you'll, this, you'll see the stage that they're dancing on has like either a black kind of like rubbery layer or like sometimes it's a grey rubbery layer. It's basically, it's called Merrily. It's, it's, that's it's basically a really thin layer of rubber. So it's a con it gives you a little bit of grip, you know, where if you dance in wood, I'm sure you, you know yourself, like wood can change with temperature. It's not going to give you consistent grip over time. It will polish out, which, you know, with your taps sliding over the floor, it will, there'll just be different grip levels. So the ideal floor has like a thin non, non-slip layer over the wood because the wood gives you the nice sound and then a little bit of give. Is the wood like OSB or marine ply? What type of wood is it? It's, it's plywood, plywood. It's plywood, okay. Yeah. And it's raised, so the shock absorber is under it. So it's raised about um, half an inch off the ground. And so the shocks give you, take a little bit of the impact, and then the the give in the floor would also have a little bit of spring in it. Um, just like, it's basically just a small version of the Riverdance, Lord of the Dance stage, World Championship stage at home. I was looking, obviously, because I, I used to be a carpenter, so I was looking at the, it, it looks like there's a tongue and groove, so you can connect two floors together, no? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, so um, I obviously don't make them. I we've a there's a carpenter who makes that now. Um, but yeah, so there's a tongue and groove. So they the idea is that um, they come in different panels, so you can connect as many as you want together. Some people have asked, could you make a whole um, studio full of them? You could, but personally, that's not really what they were designed for. If you were making a, once you start connecting more than like eight of them together it's not really a portable space that you have anymore i would recommend bigger sheets like we we, we don't do them but the idea of ours is you can connect the main one that sells is the two that come together so you have a little you have a square it's 1.3 meters by 1.3 meters it's enough for someone in their house like if you you don't have a space and you can do your drills you're not going to do a full dance routine on it but you'll be able to practice your like steps your rhythm patterns on the spot not practice your jumps you won't be getting 
like sore legs. You won't be scratching the floor or ruining your tiles at home. And um, yeah, and, and then you're dancing on the surface that um, you will be dancing on similar that you'll be dancing on at your competition or when you go to perform on stage. Because I was really bad. Um, I was always lucky with the Hessians. We always had good studios to dance on. But if I ever danced on a surface that didn't have like a like if you were doing a gig somewhere that wasn't a good stage, I would I'd mess up. I would I really put me off. So that was another reason for making these floors was I want kids to be dancing on a surface similar to what they're going to dance on when they go to the world championships or when they join shows. Besides, if they're dancing in socks on their tiles at home, when the day comes and you're on the stage, it's a completely different feel. Tell me, like, obviously, you know, when you look at certain types of sports and and things in dancing in general, there's obviously over the years, there's wear and tear in your joints and stuff. And, you know, people always say, oh, you know, for example, if you go running, you know, it, it affects your joints and your shoulders and everything. So if you're dancing on a tile floor or a concrete floor that's painted and there's no given it, I'm sure that's harder on your joints, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's terrible. Like if you don't, yeah, dancing on a bad floor is the worst experience ever. One of some of the worst gigs um, that I've ever done is it's a big thing back home. You know, yeah, dancing oh, at yeah. weddings. Yeah. So if you ever see dancers performing at a wedding, if you're impressed with them, realize that what they're doing is way harder because the wedding floors are slippy, they're hard, and you can't hear them. And I used to hate those gigs. It's a usually a very hard wood. And there's probably no give in it. Yeah, it's no give. They're always slippy because they polished it, you know, because they want it to look nice for people dancing. So I've done a lot of those over the years, um, you know, dancing at the way. It's usually between the band will play and the band might have their um, 20 minute slot and you'll get a group of dancers out. And it, don't get me wrong, it looks great at weddings, but um, I used to hate doing them because you can never perform at your best because you're like, the floor is terrible. So for Irish dancing, it, it makes a big difference the floor you dance on. And I know you might see this, I know on Instagram now, a lot of the time you see people doing those like Instagram reels where it's a couple of seconds where they're dancing on a plank of wood or something outside. Some of them, a lot of them actually use the, the portable spunk floors, but even then they're just doing like a 15 second routine. But when it comes to doing a proper, like a, you know, a show or like a three, four or five minute routine where you're moving around, you really, you couldn't do that just on tiles outside, like with your dance shoes on, you'd, you'd have to track it or you'd have to add you know, the taps in after or something into the video. What you said earlier, like the little kind of rubber grommets or the things underneath the floor, I'm sure actually they help as well because they help the wood bend a little. Whereas if you just put a, a sheet of plywood, uh, as people have done in the past, on a floor, it's it's still, it's maybe a little more give, but it's there's nothing in between that and the floor. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so there's like a... Like I said, little shock absorbers underneath it. It raises it off the ground about um, an inch. So, you know, that's good for a few things. First off, the shocks will take a little bit of the impact. It's small. You don't want a super bouncy floor now, but it takes just that little bit of the harshness out of the out of it. Then when it's raised, it kind of makes like a an acoustic chamber for oh, the sound. Okay. So it sounds really good, you know. If you get a plank of wood, and if I put my plank of wood on, like I said, when you watch these videos on Instagrams and stuff, most of the people have added their taps in after. So they've danced on a probably a really nice studio floor to add the taps in but like if i put my plank of wood on concrete it's going to have a different sound to that plank of wood on a different type of concrete or different on grass and stuff so um yeah with the portable sun floors they're raised so you're always going to get the same sound pretty much obviously it'll have it will make a difference what's under it but not as much because you'll have that about two um, inch half an inch under it where 
it, it helps just the sound kind of resonate you know it's like an acoustic chamber and then also it gives the wood the half of inch that it can bend itself because wood is flexible it's like a living material the thing the other thing i was wondering as well is you know like when you put the two boards together and it's more as i'll put it landscape kind of you know um do you have enough space or then do you kind of say oh maybe i need four boards because it seems to me like you can move sideways easily but if you want to move forwards it's more difficult no so maybe you need two more boards yeah you can so you can you can connect as many as you want so we have a special lock we get from germany so like when you put them in it's um oh, i don't know i probably should have <laughs> it's like a special little hook lock so we have an allen key that goes in oh i saw that where you you, you put it down and you turn it you t- turn it yeah so you can connect another one if you want another one another one and to the other side the allen key would connect okay. that side so you can connect okay. as many as you want but ideally the the um like you could some people i know the cordial lads they have a few of our floors so they've often connected like three or four together when they do some of their videos i know if you heard of the cordial boys they're from galway and claire but um mo- mostly our product is used for people dancing at home they usually just buy the the one floor that comes in two sections it gives you a 1.3 by 1.3 perfect like square when you connect the two together and that's enough to get your your rhythm patterns practice your tricks and stuff on the spot that you know or do your zoom yeah, classes course, if your dance yeah. teacher's doing zoom and she's trying to he or she is trying to look at you um so that's really what our products are it's not to replace a dance class it's not to replace going to class it's just like because like i said i'm in london at the moment my girlfriend she's from london you can imagine houses are a lot smaller over here and she growing up never really had a, a place to practice outside dance class and then you're competing with the kids who you know, their parents might have built them a little studio in the garage if they've lived out the country in Ireland or in America. So, um, and it, you know, it's tough. This is the same in all sports. Like, you know, people have better facilities. So that's kind of where I came up with the idea that portable spung floors was for to help the people who have no space. If you have a studio at home, there's no need to get a portable spung floor. If you have a big garage, it's more for like people. Like we sell so many to Europe, like Germany. You'd be surprised. Like so many German dancers who they just like, we don't have any studios we can even rent over here for irish dancing you know the dance teachers don't have them early so they can get these little portable swim floors and practice their routines can i ask you then obviously for professional dancers do they always have access to a studio to practice or like because when you were in in quarantine you were in your room so at that time had you developed the portable sprung floor and could you use it yeah so uh, yeah um we had the portable spunk floor lord usually takes some around with them as well unfortunately in taiwan we couldn't um so like even though they're called portable spunk floors they're not super portable because they're they're high quality they're heavy so we couldn't take we we couldn't give like there's 90 dancers everyone had to have their own room we we wouldn't have been able to ship out 90 floors um yeah to to taiwan so we didn't unfortunately we didn't have them in the rooms in taiwan to practice on um, we did think about it. I was like Jimmy, James Keegan. We were messaging, seeing if we could bring over like three or four, and if the hotel would let us each day, could we give it to someone else in the next room, someone else? But it was so strict over there, you weren't even allowed. You couldn't leave your room. It was like, nope, you're in that room. You're not allowed to send anything to anyone else because you might contaminate it and spread the virus. Yeah, you, I suppose you know not to be, uh, not to look at it in a funny way, but I suppose. 
if when you used to always see those things on toys made in Taiwan, yeah. but, uh, you, maybe you need to get a Taiwan distributor <laughs> and then you could have them there for you. <laughs> that, that is very true, actually. Yeah. You see it on everything made in Taiwan. <laughs> so I can imagine at that time, in all of those hotel rooms, it was kind of a situation where if you did a surprise visit to those rooms, besides whatever else you'd see, um, the the bed was probably pulled back and uh, there was a, like a big open space, like there was a Kaylee going on, no? <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, it was, so obviously when we get there, we all get our, we all get our rooms. The rooms are really, like, they were lovely rooms, but um, like, we, they were all double beds. I think they were, it was a double bed and I was like, I don't need a double bed, like, so we all, one person would, you know, dismantle the bed, put it up on Instagram, and you can imagine some. Geez, how did you do that? They messaged them. They told them, "Oh yeah, they're just screws." And I, I've changed my double bed into just a single bed, and I put the other side up against the the door. Or sometimes you'd lift the both of them up, and you'd only take it. So you had a big space to, because we were doing, you know, you doing workouts, maybe doing some stretching, doing some dancing. In obviously on the carpets, we had lots of Zoom. So we had like every day for the new people, we had um, Zoom classes to teach them the steps. You know, just you know, to, to, to pass the time for the two, it was two weeks, 14 days in locked in a room. So, and um, the new cast knew so many of the dances before we even hit rehearsals. Then we'd have group workouts where we'd, we'd take, you know, different people would take a workout like here. We'll do a hit workout, you know, a couple of burpees. It would pass the time for you, you know, and it would keep you fit. Like you said, your dancing is a physical sport. So you need to keep fit and healthy. You're obviously not going to get ridiculously unhealthy in two weeks in a room, but you know, every little bit helped. But yeah, the rooms, if you could do a surprise visit, there was beds up against the wall and everything. They'd be like, were the Rolling Stones here last night? What the hell is going yeah. on, you know? Oh, we were warned. We were warned. <laughs> put everything back the way it was when we check out of this hotel. <laughs> Even the practical side of it, because if you stay in a hotel, right, and you know, they they come to clean the rooms every day or two. But if you have like, you know, 50 odd dan plus dancers, dancing in the rooms and they're sweaty and it's i mean the rooms i'm sure some of the rooms were like dance studios or a bit smelly yeah so they didn't clean your room so no one for the two weeks really no, yeah i like i can't ex when we first went over there we did get some people i think it was nearly a bit of jealousy but like oh this is very dangerous the lord of the dance in the middle of a pandemic going over to taiwan with a hundred dancers but when you explain to them we're going to be safer than the local joe soap at home who's going to Tesco's, touching the trolleys, but hasn't been tested in his whole life. We all had a negative test before we could hop on the plane. So everyone on the plane with you is negative. The airports are completely dead. You get to Taiwan, you put straight into a hotel room by yourself. So I know, you know, the virus, they say, if you don't show symptoms in two weeks, you don't have it. If you had it, it will pass through your, your system within two weeks or else you'll get sick. So that's why we were getting checking our temperatures for the two weeks on the off chance in the two days between your negative test and flying, you you caught the virus. That like it would if you got sick, you were you didn't come in contact with anyone because you were stuck in the hotel room by yourself. So yeah, no one entered your room. You got a knock on the door, and they dropped the food at the door. Did you get to go out for anything or to go for a swim or nothing? Nothing. Nothing. You weren't allowed out. We had balconies, and even then on the balconies, they told us you have to wear a mask on the balconies. Okay. Um, not we all didn't, you know. If you were sitting out there eating food or something, so you had a balcony to get your fresh air. But 
If you need a new toilet roll, it was dropped at the door. Towels dropped at the door. Um, your bins changed. You um, you like obviously you tied your bins up and you just left it outside the door. They obviously gave you a certain time every day that you could empty your bins. So you've done. You cleaned your own room. They gave you obviously all the soap, any cleaning stuff if you wanted a new bed sheets. Um, but yeah, no, no one entered your room for two weeks. You weren't even allowed out for two weeks. Your food dropped to your door three times a day. You could all you could order Uber Eats and stuff. So we absolutely rinsed. All those Uber Eats guys must have been buzzing with their <laughs> 90 dancers ordering Starbucks to the room. <laughs> As you said, if you went out in the balcony, were you able to talk to other people on their balconies? Like, was it that close? Or? You could, but you weren't allowed. So you can imagine the first day we went out there, you might have chatted to someone and then a message would go in the WhatsApp group. The, the, the hotel don't want you um talking because it, it does defeat the purpose like it does seem really strict and i do think i might be a bit too strict but i do understand they were like the idea is that you're not coming in contact with anyone for two weeks so if you're over a balcony talking yeah 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 i know very like you could spread it you know do you get me so you weren't allowed if you went on your balcony you weren't allowed to talk the hotel told wow. us you're not allowed to lean over and chat to this the person next door and of course everyone obeyed the rules because i mean you're in taiwan and you know, you're representing the country and most people that they've been unemployed for so long because, you know, so they're only too happy to get back out there. So everyone, there was no trouble at all. Everyone obeyed the rules. Everyone was like, we, we just want to get through quarantine and get back on stage. You did that tour and like uh, over the last few months now since that, um, has there been, have you done shows or has it been very sporadic or nothing? Absolutely. Absolutely nothing. There's, like Lord of the Dance, we had big stuff planned because it's um, our 25th anniversary this year, of course. So 25 years since the creation. So Riverdance was last year. You know, Riverdance was first and then Flatley had his thing with Riverdance. <laughs> but um, and then Lord. So it was it was meant to be our 25th anniversary this year. They had big tours planned up, multiple troops touring. But of course, you can't you can't tour now. Like um, you can't. There's no countries in Europe will let you do shows. I know America has kind of opened up again, but no promoter wants to book a tour in this uncertainty. Um, you know, just in case, um, you know, you book a tour and then there's another outbreak. So, um, Lord, we've had absolutely nothing. It's the same with all the shows, the big shows, Riverdance, they've had nothing, Irish Celtic. Um, so, yeah, there's there's been nothing ever since that Taiwan show. Um, but I know they have a lot of things booked at, like, tours in the pipeline with promoters but the promoters are just they're just waiting to pull the trigger so our next live show at lord of the dance is going to be this care fest in the uk so that's a fingers crossed that's a really good sign that the uk is opening up um but yeah apart from that taiwan uh, christmas it was there's been nothing that's it i, I suppose we're just wait, everybody's waiting for things to get back to some sort of normality so let's um, let, let's go back. I want to travel back in time a little bit. And uh, you were born in 92. So you were born like two years before the whole Eurovision and the Riverdance debut. So, you know, obviously you, you probably don't remember much of that. But I'm sure, uh, you know, because you started dancing at five. So that was, let's say, what, 1997. So you probably had a huge influence on your dancing was the whole river dance scene. And you were, as a young child, I'm sure you saw it on the television all the time. So how did you kind of tell us the story of how you got into dancing? Because 
are your family involved in it like or was it something new no yeah it's it's so it's funny how we got in there's no history of irish dancing or even really irish music in my family um um when i was a little kid we had to uh, we had to do it in school um a teacher came in like when you're in like when you're like four years old and five years old and i absolutely hated it absolutely hated the dancing dancing's for girls i want to play football the typical you know as a as a five-year-old lad i hated irish dancing and you know my mother always jokes about this now but she said you were you were like Michael Flatley when you were five or six, she said, because you couldn't keep your arms by your sides. You were ahead of your time. You were ahead of your time. I was ahead of my time, but a terrible dancer. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was. I hated it. And my t- I have two sisters as well and a brother. So my two sisters liked the dancing and they went to a proper school in, they went to a, a dance school outside school hours. And my mother always said, this, she told us that her, my dad couldn't do dance on, do the first dance on the wedding day he had no rhythm he hate he was too embarrassed and he couldn't do the dance so my mom said if i ever have two boys i want them to have just a little bit yeah. of rhythm like just a little bit of rhythm so she dropped us off at dance class and literally tricked us into going she was like oh you have to come in here i have to go talk to the dance teacher i can't leave you and fergal is my brother's name can't leave you in the care so she bring us in she's Thank God there was other boys in the class. Go down there and chat to the boys. You were born in Galway. So that was in Galway, was it? Yeah, Galway. Yeah, so that was in Galway. And um, so, yeah, we were basically thrown into dance class. And the same thing, didn't like it for years. She used to get her older cousins to pretend, like the older male cousins, to pretend that they'd done dancing, but they regretted quitting it. So that, that me and Fergal would stick at it, the, you know stick at it don't quit like I did so you know me and Fergal you know young lads you look up to anyone that's old to the end so your older cousins were like stick at it stick at it boys it's good I I wish I didn't quit so that's basically how I got into it hated it for years and then you know ended up I have to say it was a big help having other boys in the class and we used to play Pokemon cards so I we nearly went to dance class to play Pokemon cards and kick around a bottle cap at the back the other stuff to the other stuff and then my mother would show me VCR tapes of um, Lord of the Dance and River Dance, and you know you watched Flatley running around with his, you know, f- you know fighting the bad guys in the show, and the male numbers look so powerful and they look cool. I was like, wow! And we used to watch it. We used to fast forward all yeah. the singing bits <laughs> and the the girl bits, and we used to <laughs> just as little kids, and we used to just always watch Flatley doing his solos and the bad guys. And there was, I don't know if you know Keen Nolan and Darren Nolan. Oh yes, Keen, I remember. Darren Nolan was yes. the original bad guy, and Keen was like those so my mother used to be like they're, they're two brothers and they're traveling the world now dancing with michael flatley that could be you guys if you stick it up your brothers me and my brother so we're like oh maybe we, maybe we stick to this so you know and then obviously as you matured and you hit like 10 11 you had a bit of talent i just fell in love with it and i absolutely i just yeah loved the dancing and got like invested in the competition scene like you know you want to do better you want to win the competitions and the competitive nature came out in me and um yeah that's that's how i got into it didn't like it for first watched lord of the dance and river dance and flatly running around the stage and that was a big influence and the nolan brothers that made me stick out the dancing because it made it cool watching you know watching lord and river dance made dancing look cool for me as a young lad there was no instagram back then there was there was nothing else you know no social media stuff really and that's yeah that's how i got roped into it and here i am now 29 years old and still doing it. <laughs> that's great. I think that's brilliant, you know. Um, and so your mom and dad, are they both from Galway? 
Yeah, they're both from Galway. Um, yeah, both from out in Connemara. Did you grow up in Galway City or outside the city? Where did you live? So I, I grew up in Oranmore, um, Mary Oranmore. Um, so about a half hour from Galway City. Uh, yeah, that's where I grew up and went to school in Oranmore. And then I went to university in NUIG in Galway. And yeah, then I finished my degree. Um, I like I was always doing other shows like Trad in the Prom. I've done that since I was a little kid in Galway every summer. But um, yeah, once I finished my degree in NUI, I always knew I wanted to travel with a show. I'm glad I got my degree under my belt. It was, you know, get that done. And yeah, finished that. And I just straight away off to the West End with Lord of the Dance. And that's where I started in um, in the Palladium in yeah London. And just go back there to the, the college thing. So you studied mechanical engineering, wasn't it? And yeah. did you, you know, was there a... Was there a point where you thought, I don't really want to go to college. I want to just dance or, you know, or did you say, OK, or did you have to ground yourself or did someone else say, no, no, get your degree? Yeah, I always I was always really fascinated with engineering. So I always knew that, like, um, it, I, I wanted to be an engineer. Like, I loved it, loved cars and all that. But um, it was hard because you make so much friends in competition. So I seen a lot of my friends that I competed against that were my age starting to go to shows when they were like 17 18 years old and i was like i want to do that too but um you know my parents um definitely said look we'd recommend if you if you like you know what you want to do in college just get those four years done and then you can do your dancing so it wasn't too hard like i there was always every now and then you'd be in the college library and you'd look at your friends on facebook off in dubai or traveling around germany and i'm stuck there doing my maths that there was times i was like geez will i just pack this in and do that dancing but um but yeah that was only every now and then i I always knew i wanted to get the degree done and i loved i did have to i loved uni i love the friends i'm still good friends with the people i met in college um yeah i was actually visiting two of them up in cambridge um at the weekend um so that was really nice some of my college friends that um are now working over here but um yeah, it it was tough. But get I guess my parents kind of encouraged me. They, you know, they showed me. Look, if you get your degree first and then head off and then do the dancing because you can't dance forever. Like, um, it's a young man's sport. Yeah, and so it, there's only is there's only the two boys in the family. You and Virgil. So two boys. There's me, Virgil. There's only a year between us. He he's not in the show anymore, but he used to. He was a lead in the Lord of the Dance as well. The two of us were both perform the role as uh, the lord and then i have two sisters they dance but they never toured with um the big shows but they dance when they were younger as well obviously did you stay with the one school of dancing all the time all those years or did you kind of move around i i started with a school called the o'brien school they're not in galway anymore but they disbanded because the teachers they moved off one they were two sisters um Breda and rose o'brien and yeah one of them was moving to birmingham and the other one was partner was going to america so that school just kind of disbanded and then we moved to the hessian school of dancing when i was i think i'm so bad at Sorry. remembering this i think i was 11 years old or something um and then i've been basically with the hessians my whole life so i've done a few years with the o'briens and then the hessians basically my whole career tell me with the danry hessian school of dancing obviously you know it's it, there's a very high caliber of dancers go through there as well and a lot of big names have come out of it so is that you know for for scouts that are looking for dancers for sh- shows coming up and young dancers you know there's probably a select few schools in ireland and in the uk which, where there's a very big scene 
um, there's select schools that they kind of go to first, I imagine, no? Not really. Like, the Hessians is an amazing school, but they wouldn't they wouldn't scout by school now because um, it comes in waves. Like, the Hessians, obviously, they've been a really good school their whole life, but um, sometimes schools can get unlucky, just peaks in waves. Like, we've always been lucky with the Hessians that we've had a lot of male world champions, and and I really think, obviously, amazing teachers, but it's also been... Like I said, when there's other boys in the class that pull the boys along. So I've seen some schools that just don't have any boys and they find it so hard to keep the young boys that come in with a bit of talent because they've no other older boys to look up to. So um, they don't, when you're scouting for shows, you don't really just go to the big schools. You nearly look at the dancer, the individual dancer themselves. So you could, we've, we've, um, three Hungarians in our school, in, in the show, sorry. I saw that actually, yeah. Yeah, I'll use that as an example. Like, So you don't have to dance for a big school to get into a show, you know? Um, like, yeah, like I, that's the best example. We've got three Hungarian dancers that are in Lord of the Dance. No one would know of, like they didn't really do well at competitions, but they had great other styles of dance. And so you don't, like, it does help to do good at competitions. That's the main thing. If you, if you do well at competitions, it will look good on your dance CV if you're a young kid, a young trying to get into a show otherwise if you're a little bit if you have show experience that's just as good as um like so there's you're either a world champion dancer with no show experience or else you could be a you might never have recalled at the worlds but you have loads of show experience that you're on the same playing field you know it's it, it, it's obviously it'd be great to be a world champion dancer with show experience. Then you'll get into shows a lot easier because the show's like fantastic. You know what it's like to work as a team and you're obviously a very talented dancer that you've done really well at the world championships. But even, we have so many dancers who never, you know, placed in top 20 in the world, but um, they're just great team players. And, you know, they might've, you know, they might've done a few smaller shows first and then they got into the big shows like Riverdance and Lord because, you know, they sent in their CVs and like, look, I've three years experience with, you know, dancing in bush gardens in America or three years with all these other shows and they can work as a team. And like the steps that we do in Lord of the Dance and Riverdance, they're still hard steps, but they're not the hardest thing. Like this, the moves that the kids are doing nowadays, the tricks that they're way harder, like the stuff the world champions are doing nowadays is harder than you, the steps that you do in Lord and Dance and Riverdance. To get into the shows, it's all about being a team player, you know, blending in with the team, you know, doing the cut the same as everyone else does a cut. There's no there's no point being a standout in the back line. Well I like to do my kick I like to kick up at the back. This little things like that that people don't understand that make Lord of the Dance free all the big shows. I just keep saying those two, sorry, but the two people would obviously know. It's it's about doing everything the same because um yeah, a hundred percent of some world champ dancer could be like, well I could do kick up here extra high at the back on this move and I can do this. But if they do that, they're going to stand out and it's it's not going to make it look uniform. If they can't... Yeah, nothing's going to be in sync. Yeah, and you, you go through your whole career in competitions by yourself and then you come, like I was, we were talking about earlier, Taiwan, 100 dancers on stage. Imagine now all of a sudden you're working with a team of 100 dancers. You all need to be in line, you know? One person out of line makes it, you know, so it's a completely different, it's a completely different beast, the shows. It's keep in line. You're doing stuff that you would never never taught in dance class like keeping lines working as a team doing the moves the same as the next guy doing the moves you know let's look at your 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 one two world irish dancing championships and obviously lots of other titles as well um tell us about that experience 
you know, when you kind of realized that you really loved dancing and you were good at it and, and you could be competitive, did you kind of switch it up a new level? Did you think, okay, I have to go for this even more and adapt my training and aim higher? Did that kind of go through your mind? Yeah, 100%. Um, I always remember the moment that really switched it on for me. It was my first All-Ireland Championship. I won it. How old were you? I was, uh, is it 11 or 10? 10 or 11 years old, you do your first, You, you that's the first um, the youngest age that they let compete. So obviously up until then, you're doing little Connacht championships like under eights, under nines, under tens. So I was that was the first time I realized, wow, I just won this. In a couple of months' time is the world championships. These are all the same guys going to be competing at it. So I could be world champ. So I came sec. I didn't end up winning the worlds that year. I came second that year and my brother won it. So my brother won five world titles. So that really helped me. And he was only a year older than me. So uh, it I have seven seconds in the world. So even though I won two world titles, I've come second more times than I've won it. But um, I absolutely love it. It was addictive. It was like, yeah, it, it was just like an adrenaline rush, like, you know, going to England to dance in British nationals and winning or coming second. You didn't always have to win. Obviously, you wanted to win, you know, every competition you you knew you were good enough to possibly be the champion. But um, it was it was an adrenaline. If you didn't win, you were back in the studio the next day practicing with your brother or even by yourself or you'd have um one of my teachers Deirdre Gallagher she took me under her wing I'd even when I got a little bit older and I'd message her and she'd be like I'll take you to the studio and do a private with you even when I was in uni when I was like I competed up until I was um 21 because I was in college and when I was a bit older I'd be in uni if I had a free time off and if I didn't do well at a fish you know that weekend I'd message Deirdre Deirdre do you mind taking me I have a couple of hours off here in college i'll come out to the studio in salt hill and she'd take me and we'd we'd, we'd just like practice for like two hours and it, it was a drug i i absolutely loved the whole competition side winning is amazing but um when i'm out of the competition side now having won the two worlds my advice to younger dancers is obviously go for the goal but you know enjoy the process that's one thing i didn't i wish i enjoyed more because after winning the titles you realized well i tell you what it was that i enjoyed was the going for the win once you won that title and now you're the defending champion you're like oh now the pressure is the pressure is on you know it's a different feeling different feeling yeah when it, yeah it's, it's addictive it's it's so addictive Com- anything that's competitive whether you're playing football if there's no competitive aspect to it there's nothing to give you that little push but when you're playing a football match even if whatever it doesn't even have to be a county level like there's always that when there's a competition and there's a prize on the line it'll make you go to places dig deep give an extra 10% you didn't think you had. So when people look at the dancing world from, you know, we'll say non-dancers, and they see, for example, in the UK, it, it seems to be a very strong scene, and in New York and America, um, is it a case that the the foreign scene for Irish dancers, like the, the expat community, is bigger than in Ireland? Yeah, um, expat and even my girlfriend she has um no irish connection she's actually more greek cypriot she lives obviously in the uk her whole life london but it's not even the expats it's um just people who have no irish connections living in um england america like all over the world that get into dancing and they're nearly stronger than the irish scene because sometimes i find uh, like me when i was a kid growing up you think oh this is irish dancing it's what the, Ir- the irish do and you don't take it as serious but um in my age, when I was competing, my main competitors, there was one of the guy, um, this guy, John Fitzgerald, amazing dancer. Um, he's from Kerry. 
it was probably me and him from Ireland, but our main competitors were the English and the Americans. So like in our, when we were going to the Worlds, uh, me and John Fitzgerald, we were the two Irish guys who would place in the top, you know, five, our top 10, we were the only two Irish. The rest out of that top 10 were usually English and Americans. So um, it's a massive scene outside Ireland, like in England and America. And like I said, like there's dancing in Europe. They mightn't be at the same level, you know, at the moment, but they're coming up there. Australia is massive in Irish dancing as well. When some people look at the way Irish dancing has gone and they look at, for example, is it, you know, for the young girls, is it more difficult because of the whole dresses and the beauty? And has it changed in that respect? Because I know I've heard some people say, oh, you know, maybe they're dressing up the young dancers too much. And I, I suppose that happens more with the girls than the boys. So can you tell us a bit about that? Like, is there pressure on the girls a lot? Yeah. Um, yeah, there is like, so when I was started dancing, it was like black pants and just a shirt you'd get from Anthony Ryan's. But yeah, the boys nowadays, they do get custom made waist jackets with de like designs on it. The girls dresses, they cost in close to two grand for a dress. So there is, there is pressure um more more so for the girls because of the expense of the dresses are so expensive and yeah they they do makeup the boys don't maybe so i never put on makeup when i'd compete but like yeah the girls they do themselves up they put the fake tan on um but i it is while i don't i don't fully agree with it like i wish that we could all just go out in our and wear black i really hate when i, I really don't like when people put too much focus on it like say because you know like oh well the girls are spending you know you know a thousand two thousand euros on a dress but i'm like no matter like if you've done any other type of dance ballroom dancing they wear dresses they mightn't look as crazy be well they do look they do look you know they have their sparkle if you've done ballroom dancing ice skating you watch it the olympics are coming up or well, there won't be any ice skating in the olympics but even the gymnastics in the olympics they'll have their leotards you know well, they, I guarantee you there's been a lot of money put into getting those those designed. And, um, well, yeah, I wish we could, we didn't have to dress up. The reason they do it is to stand out. And that's why the dresses get crazier and crazier looking and more sparkles and more things to stand out. And it's nearly come a scene in the dancing world like, oh, who's, you know, the best dress designers? Oh, we can't wait to see their dresses. So, yeah, I wish there wasn't the big expense. But at the same time, you know, I feel like there's an expense in every every sport if you're a musician you're going to spend a, you know a couple of lots of money on the newest guitars what I, I what i kind of mean more is not like i know the dresses and all they're always parts of it but what i'm kind of wondering is did like because the american kind of irish dancing the did that kind did the irish dancing in america kind of change the scene a little because it seemed from the outside viewers that some of the girls dancing were starting to become like these beauty pageants where and not because of the dresses but more because of the makeup you know this kind of stuff so like i remember being you know young like you were said and being in schools and going to you know these dancing competitions with my sisters and stuff like that and of course you know that you'd have your mother like jeez i have to spend how much on a dress and stuff but the makeup thing wasn't a part of it but now that's kind of changed a little bit. And I'm wondering, did that come more from the States or the UK or, or was it an Irish thing as well? Yeah, no, yeah, there is a lot. I don't know where that came from, uh, but um, I think a lot to do with that was maybe social media and, 
you know, you know, like because it's a competitive thing. I this is what I think how it all developed with social media, and you'll have some parent who will have maybe looked at some um, maybe a gymnast online who'd done her make. Oh, we could add those things into your makeup. Put on fake eyelashes. I see ballroom dancers use fake eyelashes. So one the thing that will happen is one kid will bring in fake eyelash. Maybe there wasn't any fake eyelashes back in the day. Someone's seen it somewhere else and they thought it looked nice. They wear it. Someone else's parent, geez, you see, Sarah, she's wearing fake eyelashes. And she look good. We'll do it. So I don't think there's any one point. I think it's just it's just a fusion of people looking elsewhere. Trends happen. Oh, well, this is now the trend to wear really dark tan. So we'll wear darker tan. And that probably could have come from someone watching a bodybuilding competition. Why do the bodybuilders wear so dark tan? Because it makes their legs look better. I don't know. I, I can't. I can't put I don't think anyone could really pinpoint the exact place where it all came from I think it was just a fusion of you can just imagine competitive dance parents you know they can't take part in the dance class so they're looking for any extra edge and and their edges is to input into their shoes they wear their dancing or their makeup and so I think it's a fusion of things I don't fully agree I like I do think it looks a bit too much all right so I definitely agree with everyone that says that but does it affect your results I really don't think it affects your results at all. If anything, I actually think if a kid came out with no makeup on and a plain black dress, the goal is to stand out. You're going to stand out. I honestly think, yes, it looks crazy, the makeup and stuff, but the person who wins didn't win because they were wearing crazy makeup. You know, yes, they. Um, the person who won probably did, you know, had themselves look yeah. decent, you know, whatever, but it's still not it's still all down to the dance and you get judged on your technique, how the feet are placed and et cetera, et cetera. And all this extra expense, it's been pressure. You want to fit in, you know, you want to, well, I suppose if I, I could go out and just wear plain black and I will stand out, but also that two grand dress does look really nice. So, and it's the parents then paying the money, like look, we'll pay the two grand. I think myself, my own opinion that a lot of it does come from the parents because you know, like, as I said, if someone is 100%. of a certain age and they can dress in drag, they can dress as a man, they can dress as a woman. I mean, you can you once you're a certain age, you can do whatever you want. And if that kind of helps your competitive age. But I suppose in the world of dancing, not just Irish dancing, if you look at that show dance moms you know with that maddie ziegler used to be on i mean if you look at some of the mothers there it's a crazy world and you can imagine how some of them will say oh you know how can i make my daughter more competitive how can i give her that age like you spoke about and maybe the fake eyelashes and the big hair and all of that but i suppose it's the social media thing like you said pushes things to another level another extreme so it would be nice to see in the future if it kind of it went back a bit and it the dress was you know had to be beautiful and lovely and everything but it was more about the natural thing about it that, that would be nicer to see yeah i 100 100 percent agree with agree with you there was actually this one competition um yeah, at the all Ireland's one year i think it was 2011 so they were introducing a new set dance music so they had a few musicians compose a music and I don't know how they decided the winner, but the winner was uh, Francis Ward's Vanishing Lake. So that was a new set dance that was introduced into your category of music you could dance to. So to introduce this new dance, they got every dancer, male and female, over the age of six, 18, who placed top three in the world, were allowed to compete in this competition. So the competition was, you it was one round, you danced, make up a set to this, the judges are going to be there watching, 
And the rule was you can't wear your competition stuff. You have to wear all black. Like, obviously, you could wear maybe like a gray, like they weren't super strict. It has to be everything black. But it was, you couldn't wear dancing dress. So that was a kind of an insight into that competition. Boys danced against girls. It was run, one round to the set music. And I loved that competition. I was just 18 at the time, so I was allowed to compete in it. I actually ended up winning it. So I was, um, it was also amazing that way because I was like, I've just beat you know, the world champions in the girls' age and from that were all, and, and boys old, older than me. But that was the f- only time, and I thought they might do more competitions like that, where it was like, no dancing dresses allowed. Boys, just black pants and a plain shirt, like a black shirt, and then you can wear a tie if you want. But it was like, the girl. it was more for the girls, you can imagine. The girls just wore black tights. They weren't allowed to have their legs out, so it was no tan on legs. Black tights, skirt, and like... I didn't have to wear a skirt if they didn't want to wear black tights if they were wearing a skirt and they had to wear some type of black top as well. So they they done they done it once and it was an amazing experience. It was great to see. But um no, they have I've never seen them do that since it's every other competition it's back to free for all for the costumes. It's really interesting when you say that because I'm sure for those dancers and especially the female dancers, that day was probably like so um how will I put it, like relaxing and no pressure. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, like my good my good friend Claire Graney. I don't know if you've heard of her. So she dances for the Hessians. So she was um, the senior ladies world champ at the time. So she was competing in as well. And she's like one of my best mates. And I remember her on that day being like, "This is so good that she didn't have to dress up in her um, like her dancing costume and put on the fake tan. She still had makeup on, of course, but um, yeah, it was just such a relief not worrying about your costume." Your girlfriend, um, she also came up in the dancing world as well, didn't she? And she's a dancer as well. Yeah, she's a, she's a dancer. She she's like won a few British nationals and stuff, and she placed second in the world a few times. So she never won it, but she's for a female dancer, it's a little bit harder because there's more. Um, there's a yeah, naturally there's more girls that compete. So second, if you can get on the podium in a girls' competition, that is absolutely unbelievable it's it's very tough where like the lads competition there might be there might be like 10 lads going for the win you know but the in that same age group if that was a female competition there'd be 30 girls going for the win do you get me like the for every place the the comp let's say there's just more people you know fighting for that place you know the same thing fighting for the recall you could have whatever 50 lads fighting for the recall of the girls there's 150 fighting for the recall your olivia olivia is your girlfriend isn't it is she yeah she's yeah 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 so if um at the moment like are you both on the same tour or is she dancing with lord of the dance yeah so we met we met in lord of the dance we we travel yeah that's yeah we travel the world together with lord of the dance um yeah and obviously at the moment unfortunately lord of the dance we're not touring um so i've like i've gone back studying so i'm doing a master's online at the moment and you know, she's got herself a part-time job. Um, and, you know, it's tough. I have to say it's very tough for everyone in the arts industry. You know, you get a lot of pressure from people on the outside saying, oh, is it not time to pack it in and get a real a real job, as they say? And it is a real job. Yes, you, you can't dance forever, but it's the same sports people. You know, it's, it's kind of insulting sometimes when people are like, you know, imagine telling a football player in the premiership, oh, would you get a real job? Obviously, they're making millions, so it's different. But, you know, dancing, it's physical. Yes, you're not going to be able to dance in in your 50s. Most people stop in their 30s, to be honest, touring. Um, but, you know, we've spent our whole lives. I've only spent four years doing my 
engineering degree in uni and I'm doing a master's now online. That'll only take me a year. So in total, I've really only spent five years studying. But dancing, I know we didn't go to college, but I've spent my whole life. I put in more effort into dancing. When I was competing, it was two hours a day. So, um, yeah, so we're just looking forward, fingers crossed. We're going to be heading to Australia with a smaller show, actually, in August an Australian Irish dance show because obviously Australia is opened at the moment they're allowed to have events so we're looking forward to that to get that's the next time the both of us will be on stage together it will be fingers crossed nothing happens with COVID but hopefully August time we'll be in Australia dancing again. One thing I want to ask you know um, because you mentioned earlier there we were talking at the beginning and you said you know uh, being a boy uh, when you're when you're a young boy and you want to Irish dancing obviously in this very kind of macho world even to this day but like you're nearly 30 now so when you consider 25 years ago when you started do you, I'm sure it that was difficult because I know myself uh, lots of boys and even when I was young you know the first thing you say is I don't want to go Irish dancing that's for girls and you know but there's also the thing about it where boys kind of consider, oh, I look gay or whatever. I, I should be playing football and this stuff. So did you have that kind of thing growing up where you felt it was like a kind of um, people looked at you differently? Friends? I mean, not friends, because like, friends would understand what, you're, what you like. But I mean, other boys, did you ever feel that pressure that, OK, I shouldn't be doing this because it's a girl's sport? Yeah, I was, I have to say, I was very lucky where I grew up. Um, I never really had too much of that pressure, I, but I grew up in a small, like, out in Mary. It's built up now or more, a lot more, but it was, it's quite a rural town. So I was lucky. I never had too much pressures. I did myself as a five-year-old, six-year-old boy was like, you know, I knew, oh, boys, I don't want to do dancing. Dancing's for girls. But um, I was lucky. I never, never got bullied in school. I always played Gaelic football. I was pretty good at it as well. So that kind of probably helped as well that, you know, the lads said, oh, he's he's good at football and he dances as well. But um, there was a big Irish music scene out where I was living as well. And uh, I think that helped as well. A lot of the boys played music, you know, that were on the football team. Um, so I was lucky. I did have a very, um, yeah, no, the way it should be. I don't like, I don't know I'm saying I'm lucky, but it should be like that. You shouldn't be, have, um, have people looking at you differently but I've heard stories from my other male mates um that they had a hard time people calling them you know okay that's for girls actually really interesting I don't know if you, there's this tv show over here called SAS who dares wins oh yes yes and, I and one of one of our mates one of my good friends Connor Smith he grew up in Belfast in a very Protestant area and he had a hard time when he was growing up dancing so he's entered this show and he's doing really well on it and he's entered this SAS who dares win you can it's on channel four every uh, Sunday and he's absolutely smashing it and really shining a light for us male dancers like we're so proud of him like like because his story was that he had such a hard time growing up and along with many other boys who tried to get into dancing and he's just showing that we are strong like he's he's the fittest guy there he's beaten uh, firemen he's the number one cadet on this TV show. I'd highly recommend people to boys. If any boy is out there having a hard time think, and someone tells them that dancing is for girls, tell them to tune in. You've got an Irish dancer topping this TV show, SAS, one of the hardest TV shows you can do. There's no cash prize or anything. You enter it literally because you want to prove something. Yeah. That, that has changed a lot because, you know, unfortunately growing up, a lot of boys, 
boys have had to face this more than girls in that respect. Like girls always have the whole, you know, male chauvinistic things about what they should and shouldn't do. But the problem is that the girls are facing that from men, right? But then on the other hand, men are directing this kind of chauvinistic attitude towards other men saying, you can't do stuff that's for women. And like, who makes the rules of who says it's for women, you know? And I, I remember growing up, it was, it was very funny because Patrick Swayze, who was an amazing dancer, okay, and, and dirty dancing, everything. And I was, I was heavily involved in martial arts growing up and everything. And uh, I remember when Patrick Swayze came out with that film Roadhouse. And here was a dancer who was like doing martial arts on the screen. And then people were like, oh, wow, that's different, you know? So sometimes some people can be great idols or influencers in that way, like your friend who can say, well, listen, I'm a dancer, but I'm as tough as nails and I can do those things as well. So, you know, open your mind and don't think just because a man wants to be feminine as as well as being masculine, that you're not a normal person, because that's the problem we've had for the last 50, hundreds of years is that men have been pigeonholed into one box and women into another and never the two shall cross. A hundred percent. Like one thing that I did notice was I used to hate because of the costumes. I did not like if a picture of me went up online in my costume. That was one thing. And I feel like that's changed now with like, you know, there's a lot more acceptance of what clothes you can wear, but that that's probably the only thing that I didn't like. I was like, Oh geez, I'm is that a bit silly to be wearing? I, I don't even know what word to use now, but um, hundred percent. Like obviously for me watching Lord of the Dance, it made it look cool. And I really hope nowadays with social media, I think the world is more accepting nowadays. I really hope it is for any young boys. But if if there is young boys out there and they're feeling like they're getting a hard time for it, m- trust me, message any lad in, like because of social media, you could drop me a message, drop any anyone that's in the dancing scene a message. And it'd be like, hey, look, I'm having a hard time. People are, you know, dancing and I'll, they'll only be too happy to help you and listen to your concerns and maybe give you advice or tips on how they if they had trouble growing up how they dealt with it but um i was lucky i i I had a i didn't um i never felt too bad about being a dancer like i never felt the pressures about oh it's for girls um too much i obviously there's always that sometimes in your head at a party like oh you're a dancer and you're a bit like yeah yeah i i'm a dancer you know even in uni and stuff but um i hope i definitely think times have changed i really hope times have changed because some of the strongest men out there are dancers. Um, you know, it's it's not for girls. It's abs- it's it's amazing. I've spent my whole life doing. I've met my girlfriend, my beautiful girlfriend Olivia. Um, I wouldn't have met her if I never done Irish dancing. What really showed it was like obviously when Michael Flatley came out in Riverdance and in in Lord of the Dance. You the dance moves the guys are doing, and you know they're very well built and great physiques, and they're. You know, it's very like physically demanding and they look the part. And and the thing is, in some of the in some of the dance routines, they're meant to be like warriors, you know, and they look like warriors. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, 100 percent. That's why I loved I really loved the show Lord of the Dance. And it was my first choice when I wanted to go touring because it's a bit of a, it's a very loose story. Don't get me wrong, because there's no talking. But there's a little bit of good versus evil. It's the big cheese. But it was you know, it's kind of fun. You're getting into characters like you You felt manly dancing, basically. I really enjoy the show. Let's talk about Lord of the Dance, obviously, and how you got into it and so on. And like, you know, what was your introduction? Did someone come looking for you? Did you audition? What happened? 
so yeah for me um it was always i it would have always been my number one show i'd want to do but i would have been open to do any show i knew i wanted a tour but um basically got kind of after that vanishing lake competition i kind of got scouted i got um one of the um the tour managers messaged me and said would you be interested in doing some work with lord of the dance so i was in uni at the time and they were going to taiwan in 2012 and it was in the summertime so i didn't have um, studying to do so i took that time off so when feet of flames is a big version of lord of the dance basically lord of dance is usually 40 dancers when they do feet of flames it's 100 dancers and they usually get in as much young people new people as possible because they only need you for to fill in like a few numbers and it's great audition process so that was my first introduction uh flying to taiwan in 2012 mind-blowing looking at damien o'kane he was the lead dancer at the time bashing out the uh, michael flatley solo 100 dancers some of them i knew from competitions from all over the world other people i used to look up to that you know i i uh, me personally i used to look up anyone that was older than me especially that was a male dancer i used to just idolize them you know so all these older dancers that I would watch in competitions, it was class. So I, that was my first introduction. But then I went back to studying and I finished studying in 2014. So I was only doing, I do a few couple of flying squad gigs if they needed an extra dancer, but I couldn't take like a month off studying. And in that time, I was still competing and I was dancing in Galway with Trad and the Prom. And then my first proper introduction to the show full time was in 2014 in the West End in the Palladium. That's when I... I'd finished my degree, went over, and that's when I joined. And I've been doing Lord of the Dance um, as my main show pretty much since 2014, yeah. And, you know, one thing I didn't know, actually, and I saw this when I was looking you up as a potential guest, I was reading the Lord of the Dance website, and um, I didn't know that they have a rotation system with the lead dancers, which is a great idea. Yeah, so um, I'm one of the the leads in it. At the moment, there's three of us: James Keegan, Matt Smith, and myself. Um, you always for every lead role, you always have at least two. You'd you'd ideally like three people, um, um, and the reason is because um, f- first off, like someone get injured, people get you get injured all the time. So, and uh, you the role that we do as Lord, the schedule that we have when we're on sh- tour at Outdays, it's like six shows a week one day off six shows one day obviously it changes for different sometimes in the west end you have matinee so you could have eight shows a week you couldn't do lead every single night you you would get you couldn't give it a hundred percent every night you'd just be too tired so um that's why we rotate so it's like basically jimmy will do one matt will do one i'll do one jimmy just keep do you get me like a rotation system and then obviously it's inevitable someone's going to get injured or they'll get sick. They might even get injured. You could be in a funny country and they pick up a, they might get food poisoning or they pick up, you know, some type of illness. We were in somewhere, where was it before? And someone got bit by a mosquito and had a bad reaction, you know, and their leg just puffed up. They were fine, but like they couldn't do the show that night. So that's how Lord of the Dance works. There's three of us that do at the moment do the lead role and we just rotate it every, every night. And also the good point about that is, a point you mentioned earlier, like if you know you're in the back line and you want to be the lead, but you know the you have to you have to toe the line or stay in sync because you're making everyone else look bad, trying to make yourself look good. So the good thing about like the the two good things I think about being or having a rotating lead dancer is that maybe the egos are more grounded, and you know because they're sharing the role. But also as well, like you're, 
I think in in a in a lot of form or things, whether it be in theater or dancing, there's been one lead dancer and understudies. And those understudies might only ever dance maybe when he gets sick or so he hurts his leg or something. So this way it's given everybody a chance, isn't it? Yeah. So we would have understudies as well. So we'll always be looking to train people up. So um yeah, but I think it's a great way to do it. You've got your three leads and you know we'll we'll we we don't have any understudy for the Lord at the moment, but we'll start training up um new lads and yeah, they mightn't get to do it at the at the moment because, you know, like, well, you know, they might get a shot every now and then, basically. But the way I think it's a great way it works with all, whether you're a good guy, bad guy, the lead girls in the show, it's there's always at least three, two or three off each um, role and you just rotate it. Yeah, it keeps the egos in check as well. Keeps you on your toes because, um, yeah, you, you, you know, we came from a competition background. So, you know, there's. You know, we everyone wants to be as good as they can be. So if you were just let out there and you were, you're always the guy getting the standard ovations. You know, you might get a little bit complacent. So it definitely helps that there's, you know, you'll watch the other guys in the wing and you'll pick up moves from them and you'll ask them questions. Oh, I really like, I really like the way you've done that, and they'll show you or they'll ask you. I really like the way you've done this, and also for us because in Lord you get to interact with the other lead dancers. I'm not always dancing. Against the the same bad guy every night, and I think that keeps it fresh as well. That if I was always, let's say, if it was always me and um, Zoltan who does bad guy in the show, if it was always me and him, you get a bit like you know his moves kind of. Where when it's someone different, it, it keeps it fresh. You know, you're against. We got Alistair Spencer. He's massive. You act differently. It's a different, nearly show when I'm dancing against Alistair. He's towering over me. Then we got Declan, who's a little bit shorter than me as a bad guy, and he brings a different type of you know, a different sharpness to the role. So it's, it. I think it keeps, and it's the same with the girls. We dance with the girls as well. Like, you know, you, you do slightly different moves when you're dancing with each different lead. And I think it keeps it fresh and it keeps it real nearly on stage. Cause you're like, you know, you're like, you're not always, what do they call like playing by colors? You know, like this, we do this and this, you know, you have the basic ideas rehearsed, but we don't rehearse it too much. Like, obviously we know the order of the steps, but we don't really rehearse everything. Like if I'm going to do it bend and stuff, we'll have that choreograph with the girls or if the bad guy is going to try swing a leg to kick me. But apart from that, we just keep it loose and it's nearly just react to what's happening at the moment. And it, I think that's, that's what Flatley always wanted it to look like. And it makes it look fresh. Yeah. And, and obviously because um, Lord of the dance kind of is like a mixture of dancing and battle fighting or whatever. So is there in, in terms of, like dance moves, do you kind of sometimes, or the choreograph choreographers, do they have to look at certain, let's say, martial arts moves that kind of can look like a fight? But do, is there a mixture of that? Yeah, I mean, we actually had when I first joined. Obviously, I wouldn't be the best martial artist now, but Flatley did um, for a while. Brought in a boxer to um, teach. It was me and Morgan Comer. We were the two leads. There was a couple of troops at this time, and he brought in a boxer coach um and he traveled with us for a little while and we'd have a few boxing lessons off him just to know how to hold your hold your hands and you know just to make it look a bit more real of you know because we were dancers so he would show like this is how you should react when the guy throws the punch he's obviously not going to hit you but you know this is how you should move your head or if you're going to duck it this is how you should duck it and you know so that was really fun when we had um when we got those lessons on um the yeah, it was fun. Boxer basically having input into the choreography. This is how you should hold yourself, basically. And no, the way you held your hands there isn't how a boxer would hold it. That's not how you would 
if like if the bad guy hits you or kicks you or knocks you down, he's like, that isn't really how you would fall if that happened in real life. This is how you would be falling. And so, oh, yeah, good, yeah. And see, and the thing is, obviously, Michael Flatley, he's a boxer as well. And and it what always kind of interests me was in the shows. Now, I haven't seen a, a, some of the shows in the last few years, but the fighting kind of revolves more like around the boxing style that those, you know, enacted battle scenes. But when you consider like some of the martial arts, which have a very dance kind of element to them, like capoeira, the Brazilian uh, martial art form, it, do they? Is it something that they kind of look at and think, oh, maybe that martial art would work well within that dance routine, or does it more focus on the boxing and then the the leg kicks are more dance moves? Yeah, it's more like obviously, like you you said yourself there, Michael Flatley was a boxer i think he was a very good boxer in his day so and he created the show so obviously it's been based a lot around the boxing and the then the leg kicks were more dancing kicks but um so yeah there's definitely it is definitely still based mostly about the kind of boxing stance but 100 percent they're open like flatly would be open jimmy they're like the dance masters now that are kind of over the choreography they'd be open to someone coming in if someone came in and they were dancer and they don't cap aware and they're like what about this they'd be 100% open to that. Of course, I've done a little bit of martial arts when I was a kid, like judo and stuff, but like I'm I'm a dancer, so I've I kind of picked up on flatly style. So when I'm on stage, I tend to do most of the boxing, but um, they're 100% open to anything. I think the best example of being open is we have this little spirit, we call her the girl who plays the tin whistle. It's kind of her dream world, the show. And that role used to be performed by a dancer who had... Um, uh, an Irish dancer who had a bit of modern dance experience. Now we have a contortionist, a gymnast, and she has changed that role completely. If you watch the original, and what it's Jess Judge, she's an amazing uh, talent. Obviously, true over the years when we were just getting Irish dancers in with with modern dance experience, they'd all have their own little you know twist on it. But the when this girl came in who had no dance experience but was an amazing contortionist and could do flips and backflips, you know. If you can do that, they will 100% be happy to let you change the role. So, yeah, if I could learn capoeira and if I could incorporate it, they'd let me do it. Unfortunately, I wouldn't feel too comfortable throwing in a, a few um, capoeira moves, so I'll stick to the few boxing lessons I got. <laughs> With the martial arts, obviously, there are different styles. Like you said, judo, it's more ground fighting and everything. But when you consider taekwondo or capoeira or even kung fu, there's some uh, there's some martial arts that have very acrobatic kicks and very dynamic kicks. So you can imagine, because me obviously having studied martial arts and and then you look at dancers and you always think, well, you know, they're very flexible. They have, you know, they're they're able to kick really high. They have those moves. The the dynamics of the kicks might be a little different, but you can imagine somebody who, and I'm sure there are lots of them out there, I, I can imagine there are certain dancers who might have a black belt in Taekwondo or have studied Capoeira, and those kind of dancers probably can do amazing things with their legs. Yeah, uh, yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, there's basically, there's oh, in any, especially Lord of the Dance, and if you can come in and you can bring, they're always looking for you to bring your own style. Yes, you have to might do the same choreography steps, if that's what the choreographers, but you can do it in your own way with your own hand movements, your own stance to it. And yeah, hundred percent. I definitely think the future kids coming up, um, if they have, you know, 
different talents that they could do or yeah no i'm not auditioning i I, i'm not putting myself forward i'm a bit past that now (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and i'm sure with the new shows they'll be when flatly mightn't have it only on drunken nights (laughs) but yeah no i i think you know i always laugh i think when riverdance came out um especially in ireland when at parties there was always some drunk michael flatly there was always some guy yeah. doing the Michael Flatley, you know, the all, the, the thing at the end. Yeah. So there was always some somebody. <laughs> there definitely is. There is always someone. And the sad thing is, it's probably me when I've had a few pints at the end of a night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you you probably you probably do it very well though. Not after a few pints though. <laughs> With the man himself, obviously, because Michael Flatley retired kind of from. Lord of the Dance, what, about 10 years ago or more? When did he retire? He, um, when I joined, he was still dancing. When I, he came back to do, uh, like, uh, when I joined in 2014, he would perform the last two numbers of the show. Um, so he didn't perform the, the, the role as the Lord throughout the whole show. But when it came to Encore, he came out and it was the crowd loved it. It was like your last chance to see Flatley in action. So he would dance the last number of the show. And he'd done that all the way up until, like, we'd done the Three Arena in 2015. Flatley done that. Um, so he wasn't performing the whole show, but he he was still making cameos. And his last show was we were in St Patrick's Day in Caesar's Palace in Vegas was Flatley's last performance. Um, and he hasn't danced since then. And that was his last cameo where he came out and he done the encore. So um, yeah, what, what year was that? That was two thousand and sixteen, was it or fifteen? I'm so bad. All these tours, they wow. I think, yeah, it would have been, yeah, 2015, maybe it was. The end of 2015, or the start of 16. I think uh, Caesar's Palace, anyway, it was Caesar's Palace, St. Patrick's Day. Um, that was his last um, his last performance. So, like, obviously, you know, when you when every dancer gets to the show and they, the first time they, they meet Michael Flatley, or maybe they might meet Michael Flatley for months, or... I don't know. Some of them might have never met him. Yeah. But is that kind of a difficult moment because you're kind of in awe of him? Like, do you have to try and say, "Oh no, no, no"? I'm, you know, don't worry. I'm not going to let it get to me. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, like for me, obviously, I was. I'm from that generation where I grew up watching Lord of the Dance. I know a lot of the kids, younger ones coming up nowadays, they mightn't have been influenced as much from the OG cast as we'll say, like the originals. You know, they're they're kind of more influenced from the newer cast. And they're, you know, people that they see on Instagram and stuff. But I was, de- I definitely came from that generation of starstruck at anyone from the OG cast. And when I met Flatley, I mean, I was probably stuttering and stumbling. And yeah, I was starstruck, you know, like he could tell me to do anything and I would do it. Like jump, I'd jump, whatever. Like I was absolutely starstruck. And yeah, I still think a lot to this day, a lot of the dancers when they first meet him are completely starstruck as well. But I was definitely from the generation that he was the idol like there was no one else there was no other facebook instagram people that you looked up to he was like he was the man he was still dancing as well by the way so he was still when i was growing up he was still the lord of the dance where nowadays we have a lot of new people that do leads that you know the younger kids are looking up to like hopefully like myself and james keegan and matt you know the they'd be watching lord of the dance now and they might mightn't see flatly doing the feet of flame solo they might be watching us doing it now yeah and you know obviously i think at one stage michael flatly held like some record for his you no know, tap dancing and the, the tap yeah the taps so is that something 
obviously as he got older and there was better dancers coming along. Sorry, Michael, you know. Um, but <laughs> what, is that something that the dancers try to recreate now or they enter those competitions or try and beat those records? Yeah, no, that's never really been a, a thing. Like, yeah, Flatley had the record. It's actually James Devine. Um, he's an unbelievable dancer uh, and he's still going. He's in his 40s and he's still... The stuff he's doing is unbelievable. But he, James Devine, currently has the record for the most taps per second. He's trained himself in other like tap dancing styles. But um, yeah, that's there's no competition for that. That was something that you'd probably have to go out of your way to ring up Guinness, you know, Guinness World Records, and tell them I'm going, I'm going for this attempt. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I've never I've never even tried to see how many taps I can get a second. Um, I'd more focus on just cool moves i like learning new cool tricky rhythm patterns and tricks a hard move doesn't mean you're getting the most taps in a second but it means you could be getting a few taps while you've jumped in the air and hit your heels or like flicked your leg off the floor and stuff but um yeah flatly had it and i james divine has it now the the style of irish dancing you know um when kids start out now and they learn the traditional style but now because of obviously River Dance when that came out and then Lord of the Dance and uh, Michael Flatley and the lead dancers there used to use their arms way more. Because as I said, for me, when I was young and I was Irish dancing, I found it hard to keep my hands yeah. down. So now now in Irish dancing, for the young people starting out, do you have to keep your arms the same way or do are, are they relax those things a lot? So um competition's still the same the i there's still the same rule the hands have to be by the side um there is different competitions that are coming in now like there's dance dramas where you can move your hands and stuff but um the fundamentals of keeping your hands by the side when you're competing it's good it makes everything harder it's like if you can do these tricks with your hands by your side and not bending and jump you know the idea of the competitions is it's like it mightn't look as impressive as someone doing a dancing on instagram to like pop music with their hands going and because it looks more stylish like like when we in lord of the dance swing our legs up to our head with we have the hands up in the sky like that you know but competition i still i still think it's great like that you keep your hands by your side for the competition while it might look funny to an outsider you're making a head you get it takes so much strength to be able to dance like that that um yeah if you can do it like that it'll be a lot quicker to learn how to use your hands but kids nowadays they're exposed a lot more like while competition is what you'll do you'll spend most of your time doing this performances like school performances schools put on shows and when schools do workshops with show dancers so the kids are always learning how to use their hands and how to incorporate you know shuffling and other tap dance moves into their routines and throughout their like when their kids coming up so you're not spending your whole life just doing competition scene you're doing school performances. You're probably dancing in local exhibitions. You're going to workshops, you know, like Lord of the Dance, River Dance. We put on workshops where kids can come. So you're still learning about how to use your hands. But the fundamentals and competitions of the hands by your side, it's still there. And I, I, I personally think it should still be there because, I mean, on, you can open up a new competition if you want where you allow the hands to move. But I I do think that the hands by their side, it's a great um it makes it makes you a great dancer it's like i don't know yeah if, I, if you learn an instrument correct technique it's the most difficult yeah it's the most difficult thing anyway so i imagine for a lot of irish dancers when they 
uh, break out of that mold and they go either doing kind of a mixture of modern dance or whatever, you know, or even going into Lord of the Dance and they they use their arms more. Um, is that something that's very difficult to do because you've been trained your whole life to keep them there and now they're saying, no, no, move them, move them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, it's probably easier now, like I was saying, because the kids, there's more workshops nowadays. There's more stuff online. People are doing Zoom classes and stuff. When I was growing up, there wasn't as much as that. So I did find it a little bit hard to use my hands. I was lucky growing up, I'd done this show called Trad in the Prom and Key Nolan, one of my idols, danced in it. So I learned a lot from him when I was a little kid throughout my competition. He'd show me, oh, you could move your hands like this. Or if you want to be a bit more loose, carry yourself like this. But yeah, for me, yes, it was a little bit of a shock joining Lord of the Dance, getting to use my hands. But I think nowadays it'll still be a little bit of a shock for the kids, but they're more, they do a lot more of that nowadays outside the competition scene, whether it's making Instagram videos or whether it's workshops and shows putting on workshops and stuff and schools doing performances. Has a new name emerged for that style of dance since obviously River Dance? Is it just still called Irish Dancing or is there a new kind of name on? No, it's still called Irish Dancing. Me personally, I mean, everyone will always say where they saw it first. Um, me, I always, Flatley was the first one to do the really rigid, like, you know, the hand movements up in the air. Um, the real funky type of style, I'll always credit that to this guy, Alan Kenneflick. He, um, he's probably one of the most talented dancers in the world. He created Prodigy. He won that Got to Dance TV show. Not Yeah, Got to Dance, massive TV show, and he created Footstorm um prodigy is one of the best shows that i've ever seen um i would credit him to the more loose hip-hop tappy influence so flatly um he was kind of more of their like upright hands in the air you know the the strict poses and all that yeah, the yeah. flatly wedding yeah, poses yeah, yeah. We, we were talking about and then this more loose style has come in a lot more from i would say from anna kenefic but like i said everyone is always going to say where they you know kids nowadays mightn't get to see the show prodigy because it's not touring so they might see it from like myself like i've had kids saying oh i've learned those that loose kind of some of those loose stuff that you've done in trad in the prom and all these other little gigs that i might be doing that you know the kids or when i go to dance teaching schools they might say oh i learned it from kahal but i learned it from watching alan kenneflick and so um it's hard to say where they're I I would always say he was kind of the original source of this new loose freestyle. And of course, people adapt it, you know, to their own style. Like I'll watch a bit of him and then I'll watch some tap dancer on Instagram that I really like and I'll mix their moves together. And it's just a fusion. It's a no one really. It's a, just a fusion of everyone progressing the sport more and more, you know, taking influences from different things, you know. Going back there, like to obviously the set dancing and Irish dancing. So. Like for for Irish dancing, obviously you're doing higher kicks and you're doing so. But but like explain the differences, you know, for the ignorant people who don't know the full difference. Because with set dancing, it's more taps and more dancing. Like your your emphasis, the, the lower kicks. I mean, it's small. It's a different style, isn't it? So, so when you say set dancing, you're like Shano's kind of yeah, that kind of dancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. I guess that's a bit more. To be honest, I'm, I know I've spent my whole life dancing, but I'd be quite ignorant, so I don't want to insult anyone, but I wouldn't really know. I'm not too sure what they look for in those competitions, but yeah, it's more about the low, the rhythm. The type of dancing I've done, the whole Irish dancing scene, like the competition scene in Lord of the Dance and River Dance, that's more about you've got to have your legs crossed. Even when you're doing the hard shoe dance, so we do hard shoe and light shoe, but your light shoe will be more jumps. 
and your hard shoe will be obviously more rhythms, but we have to keep our legs. You can't be bent over with your legs spread. You've got to have those legs crossed. You've got to have, you know, you've got to stay in time with the music. Of course, you've got to have the legs straight. You can't bend your legs. Carriage has got to be up tall. And it might look really rigid when you go to a dance competition, but that's if a kid can master a kick to their head and doing all these crazy rhythms with their feet, with their legs crossed, you know, and toes pointed, if they can master that, while it mightn't look as impressive as the kid who swings their leg, when they when you go to see a, a show or a performance in like your your pub, you know, an Irish dance performance show anywhere, and they do all these tricky moves, but their hands are out, that's more entertaining for the audience, 100%, but it's easier. It's easier to swing your leg to your head when I've had my hands out and I've bent forward a little bit, you know? It's a lot harder to do that when I'm rigid. So yeah, the, the main difference between like Shanos and set dancing is it's all low to the ground and it's, there's not as many strict rules about having your feet turned out and stuff. But like I said, I i don't know too much about Shanos at the same time. So if there's anyone, Shanos, uh, they can correct me. Um, but um, my understanding is it's more low to the ground and there's not as many strict rules about crossing legs and hands by your side and stuff. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, with, you, as you said, shows like Trad on the Prom and obviously Lord of the Dance and things, do they incorporate Shanos dancing into these shows now as well, or they do? Yes. Yeah, so Trad and the Prom, like even all these Irish dance shows all have their own different vibe. Trad is an Irish music show with dancing accompanied it. So our dancing is less rigidly like Lord of the Dance. It's a bit more loose, and we'll do probably more tricks, but we'll have less lines. Lord is more about lines and formations. So in Trad and the Prom, the main thing about that is the music. It's the amazing Fahis, Chris Kelly, Maureen Fahey, musicians, and we'll come up and dance to some of their numbers. And then we have a sh- we'll get a Shanos dancer in to perform like a Shanos dance or do the brush dance or dance on the barrel type of thing. Because there's different, you know, there's lots of different histories of Irish dancing. So the show Trad and the Prom and the same, there's lots of other Irish shows out there. They'll, you know, they'll try showcase, get get a different message across. Trad and the Prom is the history of Irish music. So it's brilliant jigs, reels, lots of different timings, some vocal singing, some strictly guitar, some strictly violin, um, fiddle, sorry, and then we'll have Irish dancing, some boys a cappella, and then we'll get a Shanos dancer in. I would never attempt Shanos myself because I feel like I wouldn't do it justice and I'd be doing an Irish, someone who never trained in Shanos. I could attempt it, but when we do those shows, you'll always hire a Shanos dancer to do it. Irish Celtic is a big show that tours. They incorporate Shanos dancing, but they'll always hire it actual shadows and set dancers in to do those numbers in the show. Okay. And tell me, obviously then, because the world of social media and Instagram opens up all these dances and shows them to the world, it must be very interesting for you as a dancer when you meet, let's say, contemporary dancers, ballet dancers, break dancers, hip-hop dancers, and you kind of compare your arts, yeah? Yeah. One thing I'll say about Irish dancing is if you've when you've just learned Irish dancing, it's it, it doesn't help you as much as other forms help you. So like my girlfriend, she went to a performing arts university here in London. So she studied for four years, ballet, tap, jazz, all these other things. And I've learned so much from her. And I find it like, like for an Irish dancer to do that has never done break dancing, will find it really, really hard. Yes, you might find it easier than someone who's done no dancing, but um, it's really interesting. Like I've learned a lot for my girlfriend like she'll help me with my lead role in the show when it comes to hands I, she'll, I'll do stuff and she'll watch me do it and she'll say Carl look you should probably hold your hand like this it's a bit more stylish and I'm like wow thank you I never knew that so um, we're always whenever we meet people from other forms of dance we're always learning from them 
I learn a lot from my girlfriend because she's studied um, like performing arts. So she'll tell me like, oh, you should do this or this is a better way to interact with the crowd. But yeah, we're always mixed. I'm sure you can see it online with dancers doing crazy moves that are like that's definitely not traditionally Irish. They've learned it from someone else. Yeah, of course, of course. But 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 like you said there as well, when it comes to auditions for, you know, any of these kind of big dance shows, like you were mentioning with the spirit girl that she, you know, the, the current one had gymnastics and acrobatic training. So I'm sure there are some dancers out there who maybe have trained in a few different styles and have done gymnastics. So it would be like crazy if you're watching Lord of the Dance and he, one guy, you're doing an Irish dance and next minute he does a double yeah. somersault and a capoeira move and whatever. And probably there are the levels being raised, so you will get dancers like that in the future. It is. It's it's coming in now. Like um, an example, those that spirit or the Hungarians that are in, uh, they're in the show. They didn't do very well at competitions because they started a lot later. But they um like they've all come from different backgrounds of, they've studied other forms of dance and then they found Irish dancing later on in life, and some when they do their role like Zoltan does the lead role, um, a bad guy. He's thrown in postures that I've never seen before. Like he's taken his role, like you know, f- from stuff that he's done. Same with the uh, Andy. She does um bad girl in the show. She's a yoga instructor, so she's really flexible. So she's kind of incorporated a lot of bendy moves that are definitely not Irish dancing into her Irish dancing role. And I think it's going to happen a bit more now. It's it's kind of going up exponentially. Irish dancers having backgrounds and influences from others. So in the future, you will see. I'm sure the the show will change, Lord of Dance. We'll probably make a new show in a few years. But when they make the new routines, they will incorporate, if there's some kid, some new superstar who can do, like you said, a double backflip while Irish dancing, that'll be incorporated into the show. And maybe the other person performing that same routine, he might be able to do a double backflip, but he might have some other cool, you know, just style to his dancing and you'll they'll make it their own. But um, yeah, I can't wait to see. The future dancing is 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 good like it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of it so i i don't want to keep you for too much longer but one thing i want to ask you about obviously we were talking earlier about the 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 floor the the sprung floor but as regards teaching i'm sure you know over the last two years with covid you've been doing a lot of online teaching so is that something that was very difficult to get into or to adapt to teaching because Instead of having the teacher in front of you, you're looking at a screen, whatever size it is. And then even I, I just thought of something there. It, you have to make sure that the screen is not mirrored because everything's on the other side. There's th- lots of things to think about. Yeah, um, it's not ideal. It, it was it was a, a short term solution, all these Zoom classes. But every, every dance teacher had to do them to keep their kids going. But yeah, you had to make sure the screen wasn't mirrored. Zoom. A lot of them was done over Zoom. Zoom naturally muffles out the background noises. So you had to go into the oh, settings yeah. to turn that off because every time the kids, a kid would be dancing for you, Zoom is designed for like conference meetings to pick up, to like focus on the voice. So that was really annoying. The, in the dancing community on all the forums, everyone was like, does anyone know how to turn off the, you know, sound suppressant? And yeah, it was, I'd done a lot of them. Like the floors obviously really helped people during lockdown. We've had a lot of really nice messages being like, like your floor, you know, I was locked in my house. We couldn't rent. Usually I would rent a local studio or I mightn't dance every day of the week, but I'd only go to my three classes and I'm only, you know, because people take it at different levels, but they couldn't even do their two or three classes a week. So 
Um, the floors was a good solution for people at home, um, but nothing will ever compare to one-to-one interaction, especially for dancing, you know, just someone there to like look at the whole thing and uh, Zoom would glitch and people's Wi-Fi wouldn't be good. And Tell, tell me about it, like, because I'm a guitar teacher and I'd be yeah. the first time I remember I, I, I know I tried it once was uh, I, I had my room was a mess or something and I tried to use the blur thing, but it blurred out the guitar. <laughs> so the thing with all this technology, it kind of has one use. So it's like, OK, identify a person in the picture. But if you have a guitar or something else, so it's the same with the sound. You know, if it cuts out the sound and you want to hear the taps or whatever. So they're not really designed for those things. Yeah. Like I could imagine you like guitar. Yes, you could maybe hear the person play guitar, but I, I excuse me now if I'm ignorant in this, but like I can imagine when you're teaching maybe an elite guitarist or someone a bit better, you it probably doesn't the audio doesn't come across if they're like hitting the notes really sweetly. Like no. you, or does it delay? Yeah. So like it's the same with the dancing. You know, the kid might have got all the beats, but there's, you know, just like you can play a note maybe a bit sweeter or add in your little bit of style to it. That mightn't come across on your cheap laptop speakers. No. So it, it was a, it did work. Look, you could do classes and, you know, sometimes a lot of in the dancing world, people would do video. So I would video myself doing a two hour, uh, doing a like an hour long class. And then I'd send that to the kids to do. So at least now the video was good quality and they could stop it and pause it. And then I'd get kids to send me videos of them dancing. And then the video, you know, that would be they'd like send you the high quality file. But yeah, it was I don't like Zoom, <laughs> Zoom dancing. <laughs> Hopefully we're coming to the end. Hopefully it's the end. Zoom dancing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it sounds like a, it sounds like a new style of dancing. Zoom dancing. Zoom dancing. Uh, Zoom guitar classes. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so the thing is, um. Obviously, then, you know, for what's your kind of plans and, you know, what's your aspirations or ambitions for the next year or two? What what do you hope to achieve? So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of coming toward, like, I always love dancing. I'm coming towards the end of my dancing professional career, I think. I still have a few years left in me, but um, I'm studying uh, uh, motorsports um, engineering masters at the moment online. So that's one thing I took with a lot of the downtime from the tours. Uh, I've gone back to study and so I've always been really passionate in motorsport and the dream would be to get a job in motorsport somewhere obviously a Formula One team would be the absolute goal so that's kind of my long-term plan is to become an engineer. Is that like when you say motorsport is in the engineering is it more from the engineering side or would you like to drive? No no it'd be the engineering side god knows if you want to be a driver you would those kids have been carting since they're um but like I love that. Like I'm actually heading to a a, a karting track this evening to uh yeah, just like do a bit of karting myself and also you know mess around with the setups. You know, like I'll have my computer and be like, so what happens if I if we put the weight bias wow. forward? Will that make a difference to the cart? Will I love all that stuff? You know, people just think it's cars running around a track, and but you must understand it's like there's hundreds of a seconds, tens of seconds. And to get those extra tenths of a second, it could be the difference between how you warmed up the tires, how you warmed up the brakes, you know, the weight balance in the car and obviously the aerodynamics if when you're talking about high end motorsport. So that that is something I'd love in the long term. So I'm I'm studying that at the moment and short term, it's to get back dancing. I'm going to be heading to Australia to dance with a show called Celtic Illusion. They um they asked me out. Um Anthony Streets is over that show. So he's asked me to um he's always looking for someone he does the lead role in it so he's looking for someone to 
to learn that lead role. So he's flying me over and my girlfriend. So he's going to train me up on how to perform the lead in that show. And obviously I'll be doing the back line as well. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll hopefully be about three, four months over there in Australia. And I'm hoping that when I come back from that, that Europe will be opened again and promoters will be looking forward to be booking Lord of the Dance for full on tours. But uh, that's, that's my short term. Short, short term is to stay dancing for another year or two. And long term would be to, um, yeah, hopefully get into the engineering world, whether it's motorsport or whether it's any engineering. I've, I've loved it all. Well, who knows? You know, maybe one day in the future, we'll be interviewing you about being in a top Formula One team. We'll be, I'll be like, this guy was on the show before with his dancing, but now he's here in to do with engines. <laughs> yeah, Lewis Hamilton's engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 but like even you said earlier you're going to the chris evans uh car thing so that must be really cool for you yeah so obviously all the other dancers are excited to be going you know to be performing at this festival it's, it's called car fest but obviously i'm all i'm also excited because chris evans is there it's not about cars but there will be cars there's like a cars um showroom selection so i'm going to obviously try sneak off for a a couple of minutes or an hour or two to have a look at the cars. <laughs> I'm going to officially coin the new term petrol head dancer. Petrol head dancer. Yes, I like that. That is me. <laughs> Chris Evans will be like saying to all the dancers, I've heard there's a petrol head amongst you. Where is he or she? <laughs> yes. Carl, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, it's been really insightful. I mean, you, you've, you've, um, you've told us a lot about your world and, and it's great. You could open up about it and tell us all the aspects of, you know, lord of the dance of your training everything like that and i mean there's so many more questions but another time so i want to thank you once again for coming on mm -hmm. and i wish you the best with everything with your motorsport uh, future with your dance future uh, with your tour in australia and all the other Thanks, great Simon. things that are going to come your way and well done so far yeah thank you and thank you for uh, these podcasts are amazing i love listening to them and you always shed amazing light and get interesting people on and it's always nice to hear um yeah, people's story. So well done for you as well. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I love listening to all these podcasts. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Carl Keeney, everybody. Thank you. See you. Okay, Carl. Thank you very much. That was a really interesting interview. And we're really happy you could share those insights into the world of Irish professional dancing and Lord of the Dance. And uh, tell us lots of technical stuff too about dancing and all of the things that it entails and we look forward to seeing you in the future and other shows and best of luck with your motorsport engineering and your other work and thank you once again okay so moving on to next week's guest we're going to be talking to mark maloney mark maloney is an actor and musician from ireland and you probably know him better as eddie durkin from the hardy books so martin will be on the show and he'll be telling telling us about the experience of recording Hardy Books. And, you know, it was a great, successful hit show and everybody loved it. And he will talk us through all of that process. And he'll tell us what he's currently at at the moment. And it should be good fun, a good laugh. And we'll try and make it as humorous and as funny as possible for you guys, you know, seeing as it's going to be our last show of season one. And uh, who better to put it out than Eddie Durkin? So... You know, we hope you join us and we hope you have enjoyed today's show and we hope that we'll see you back in season two for sure. We, we've enjoyed having you here and I hope you've enjoyed the podcasts. Uh, my name is Simon Kay. This is the Collective Whisper podcast. And all I want to say is look after yourself. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Look after your family and take care, everybody. Until next time. Bye bye. Yeah.